Oh, Emma can stay. She just likes the bells. Yeah, come on. The most celebrated preacher of the Christian church of any time is St. John Chrysostom. He died in 407, which is basically a year before Rome began to be sacked and overturned. Uh, He preached much about wealth and possessions, uh, as did many of his contemporaries. And this is what St. John Chrysostom has to say. A rich man is not one who has much, but the one who gives much, for what he gives away remains his forever. Think about that, and hopefully we'll have a a more uh, refined answer to that as we move forward today. We have this incredible parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Well, it doesn't come out of thin air because we have followed Luke's uh, chronology of Jesus and these parables for the last number of weeks. Remember, we had the prodigal son that wasted his father's wealth. Then we had the unjust steward that wastes the master's wealth. And now we have the rich man who wastes his own possessions because he doesn't use them for the blessing of others. And he misses his opportunity to have a secure future because of his mercy. Well, uh, what is happening is, is Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees and then the disciples and then the Pharisees again. Remember, the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling that Jesus was receiving and welcoming sinners and outcasts and actually eating with them. And then Jesus told them the parables of the lost coin, the lost shepherd, the lost sheep, and then the the two lost sons. And then he turned to his disciples and warned them about mammon about wealth becoming an idol that takes them away from God. And he tells a story about an unjust steward who was caught cooking the books, and that steward had to leave the estate. Well, the shrewd steward found a way to secure his future by taking money off the bills of all of the people who owed that master money. And the master actually commended him, said, Wow, you're pretty smart. You're secure in your future because now you have a place to go after I kick you off of my estate. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees were hearing Jesus talk about God and mammon, and they actually began to mock him. Imagine that. Mocking our Lord Jesus in his preaching and teaching. And right before this passage... Luke tells us something important. He says, the Pharisees were lovers of money. And they even mocked Jesus. So, Jesus told this story against the Pharisees. And it's important that we know that this is directed at the Pharisees. He begins this tale about a very wealthy man and a very poor man. And their fortunes were totally reversed in the age to come. Guess what? This is a very common tale in the ancient world. 
about the reversal of fortune at the age to come. And Jesus was not the only one to tell this tale because we have records of these tales all over the place. However, Jesus finished in a different way. Most of the time, these tales were told someone could come back from the dead and warn those still living to change their ways and repent so they wouldn't end up suffering in the future. Jesus, however, did not end his tale that way, did he? He says, they have Moses and the prophets. They know what the commandments are. It's not going to do any good for them, even if someone rises from the dead to warn them. And that's how this story ends. Well, let's look at the rich man. This is not just a rich man. This is a ultra-rich man. We know that by the description. He is someone who wears purple clothing. Only royalty could afford purple clothing in the ancient world. It also says that he wore fine linen. This in the Greek is actually that he has very sumptuous underwear. Yes, this man had the best underwear in the ancient world. Linen and cotton was very comfortable. No one else could afford this underwear. Isn't that great? You learned something today, didn't you? It says that he feasted, but in the Greek it says that he feasted brilliantly. In fact, lampros is the word, a lamp. It's like a shining light of feasting. And guess what? He didn't do it just every now and then. He did it every day. So you have this contrast with the rich man now with Lazarus. What do we know about Lazarus? Well, he's at the gate of the estate of the rich man. He's there. Uh, maybe his friends even have to take him to the gate every day. He's lying there begging for the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table, and he has sores on him, and the dogs who are unclean come and lick Lazarus. Well, they both finally die, and we know uh, what happens after that. So the irony of the entire parable is this. The rich man is now in Hades in torments, and he's pleading for mercy, but he's the very one that in his own day and time was unable to show mercy to Lazarus. And that's the irony of the entire parable. Now, these crumbs that fall from the rich man's table was something common in the ancient world because those who were wealthy enough, because they didn't have knives and forks and napkins, everyone ate with their hands. But in wealthy homes, they would have bread, and they would wipe their hands and fingers off with the bread and then cast the crumbs off of the table. And then uh, servants could get those scraps or if they had pets. And so Lazarus was hoping for some of these bread scraps that had a little bit of food on them, but he didn't even receive any of those. And so ultimately, the sin of Dives. Does anybody know that uh, Lazarus and dives? It's an old school term for the rich man. Anyway, we won't go into that. Uh, but of course, the rich man's sin was one of total neglect, totally bypassing someone that was right there on his gate, right outside his property. 
And uh, William Barclay says that it was that Lazarus was never noticed, and the rich men accepted him as a part of the landscape and simply thought it was perfectly natural and inevitable that Lazarus should lie in pain and hunger and wallow while the rich man remained in luxury. And so he looked at his fellow human beings, says William Barclay, in hunger and, and in pain and did nothing about it. He says this was the punishment of the man who never noticed anything. So it wasn't that the rich man had a list of things that he did wrong that we hear about. Actually, we don't hear a list of good things or bad things about either character, as a matter of fact, because... Luke Timothy Johnson says that because this was aimed at the Pharisees, it's ultimately a parable of rejection of them. Because Jesus, in effect, is saying, if you don't receive me as the Messiah, the hope of Israel, if you don't follow the commandments of God that you already know, if you don't start receiving the poor and the hungry and the lame and the outcast and sinners... This is your fate, which is striking to think about. Well, many commentators have uh, mentioned things about this because uh, of the significance of the places that people end up. Someone said, the rich man now desires a drop of water when during his life he would not give Lazarus a drop or a crumb. The reason the rich man does not receive mercy now, says Augustine, is because he did not show mercy in his own life. And Augustine would also say, this account illuminates the story of the unrighteous steward. For saints make friends for themselves by feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty. The Pharisees need to become like the unrighteous steward by seeing that their Lord is Jesus and relying on his mercy to give alms to people like Lazarus. Why? So they could secure their future by having treasure waiting for them in heaven. Well, uh, one of the most poignant things about this story is this. Even in Hades, even in torment, the rich man is bossing Lazarus around. Can you imagine the arrogant, the arrogant heart of this rich man? He's in torment and he's trying to get Abraham to send Lazarus on an errand. Well, send him over here and, you know, put some water in my tongue. And, oh, can you send him on an errand for me to go tell my brothers so they don't uh, suffer the same fate as me? I mean, talk about of denial and being out of a touch with reality. I mean, this is the, the most incredible picture of someone not understanding the truth that is their reality at the present. Well, that really stuck out. Again, it is aimed at the Pharisees, and it is, I believe, as Luke Timothy Johnson says, a parable of rejection to them. But, of course, we have things that we can understand and be in touch with ourselves. This really corresponds, in a way, to the Sermon on the Plain, 
which is in Luke. It's sort of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. They are extensive teachings of Jesus all grouped together. And at the sixth chapter of Luke, Jesus says this. He looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And then, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. There is a theme of a divine reversal in Luke's gospel for those who do not show mercy. And so that's important for us to take note of. Now, Jesus called his disciples to come under the kingdom and the kingship of God, that God would provide for their needs and they could count on God to provide for their needs. But there was no guarantee of any wealth, certainly promised by Jesus. And Jesus was very straightforward about the risk that we all can take in getting attached to mammon which is an idol. It's the same thing as money and its extension possessions. And so the way that we give our wealth away, the way that we give our resources away, especially towards those who are poor and needy in acts of mercy, those are revelations of where we are in our heart with God and God's commandments and God's ways. And that's why Jesus basically said, You cannot serve God and money at the same time. It's impossible. It's just one or the other. And so, if giving away possessions and almsgiving secures a place with God, the opposite is also true. The worship of possessions and clinging on to them is the ultimate means of separation from God. And that's what this parable points to. We also see echoes of this in our epistle today. You probably heard from that epistle to 1 Timothy today that money is the root of all sorts of evils. We've heard that all of our life. But there are other things that it also says. It says that we should take hold of eternal life. It says that we should take hold of eternal life. And also mentioned in this passage, is fascinating, he reminds us that only God has immortality, eternal life. God possesses eternal life. And it's given to us as a gift, but it's not the type of gift that we just put in our pocket and then we possess. Only God possesses eternal life. The way that we participate in that is by communion and our heart, and our life, and our faith, and our connection to God. And that's why giving possessions to those who are poor, giving our resources to the things of God, is in fact a revelation of where our heart really is with God. Because it is the primary way that we actually show that we trust and believe in God and not money. And so, this is a reminder that we have, even in the early church, uh, years on past the time of Jesus. Well, there's a 
famous rabbinic story that I want to share. It's about a man named uh, Manabas. And he inherited a great deal of wealth. He had a number of brothers. Manabas was a good and generous man, and uh, he did try to help the poor. In fact, there was a famine in his lifetime, and he gave almost all of his wealth to the poor to relieve them from the famine. All of his brothers came to him after that and said, Wait a second, your fathers laid up treasure and added to the treasure as they had inherited from their fathers, and you are going to waste it all? And this is Manabaz's answer. My fathers laid up treasure below. I have laid it up above. My fathers laid up treasure of mammon. I have laid up treasure of souls. My fathers laid up treasure for this world. I have laid up treasure for the world to come. You can see this idea about how sharing our wealth and our resources in a merciful and compassionate way secures a future in the life of the age to come. Now, maybe we can understand these words of St. John Chrysostom in a new way. Listen to it again. The rich man is not the one who has much, but the one who gives much. For what he gives away remains his forever. You see how that works now? Well, let's finish with three points. Generous and merciful and compassionate giving fulfills the commandments of God, which are found not only in Moses and the prophets, but the commandments of Jesus himself, because Jesus had more to say about money than any other subject than his general theme called the kingdom of God. And we fulfill these knowing that Jesus is, in fact, our risen Lord and judge. Number two, generous and merciful and compassionate giving reveals a heart and a soul that has been enlivened by the Spirit of God, enlivened with the very love and compassion of God himself. Number three, generous and merciful and compassionate giving is the wise use of our wealth to bless others and it invests the wealth now for our life in the age to come. It is the way that we take hold of the life eternal, take hold of the life that is really life. So how wise it would be for us to continue to be generous people. We are a generous people. There's no doubt about that. Now we know why we're doing it. We're doing it because of the love of God, because of compassion, because of mercy for others. We're doing it actually because it's the wisest thing that we can do with our excess is to invest it in the poor and the needy and the causes of God because there's a promise of our future in it. It is the way that we take hold of the life that is eternal. Well, we have an opportunity to do that right here and right now in the next coming weeks as we uh, are in this annual commitment campaign. I said next week you're going to get a little card in the mail. We ask that you pray on that, sign it, and turn it back in. Plan to offer it on November 3rd or 10th when you're here as we make our corporate offering together as the body of Christ in St. Francis. 
But the truth is, we offer this to our parishioners every single month. Because every single month, we put before you, on purpose, we put before you opportunities to give to outreach efforts that we've been doing for a long time. Some of them are old, some of them are new. But these are opportunities to compassionately and mercifully meet the needs of those who are needy, the Lazaruses in our life and in our community. So let us recommit to be generous and merciful and compassionate with our wealth as our Lord Jesus has commanded us to do. And in it, we will secure our future of the life that is truly life. Amen.